Welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. It's another time for a great story. I kind of like to call this story The Stranger in the Straw Hat. I think you're going to find it interesting. And this came about because someone asked me the question to tell them about an adventure that I've been on. When I think of adventures, hmm, in the course of my life uh, span, I've had several incredible journeys or adventures. So I'm going to focus on one remarkable adventure that today seems like it happened yesterday, even though it was around 1986. Uh, a friend of mine uh, wanted to go with me to, to Mexico in the southern part of the country to locate uh, some family members, cousins of mine that joined a, a religious occult uh, many years ago. My, my real objective was to convince them to come back home to the United States where they were born and raised. And I miss them very much, being raised with them uh, and, and playing in the, the same neighborhood while growing up. You, know, you, you develop a bond and you don't want to lose that connection. So this was my second journey to a small community in the state of Michoacan called La Nueva Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is what it is. So we flew uh, into Mexico City and, and hopped on a, a, a chicken bus. <laughs> By the way, if you've ever been on a chicken bus, you know what I'm talking about. But the chicken bus is basically people who get on the bus. It's a very cheap fare. You go for a quarter, many, many miles. Yeah, but people bring their chickens, they bring their goats on there, and, and there's pigs once in a while, and, and everybody's just you know, shoulder to shoulder, and sometimes on the roof of the bus. But we're on this chicken bus, and, and all the way we rode it to a very small town, six miles outside of La Nueva, and the bus stopped in a little community called Pura Aran. And we, we, and we couldn't go any further. They said, no vehicles go beyond this point. So from, from that point, we, we, threw, we threw on our backpacks and, and started out with a little compass, walking to what I thought was a familiar path that I had walked on my first journey. But that particular path no longer existed. It was covered with sugarcane field that was getting ready to be harvested. So I was perplexed, yet I didn't want to scare my traveling friend, Ralph. And so all of a sudden, while I was kind of looking around, maybe a little confused, from the middle of the sugarcane field, a couple of guys came out that looked very poor, but seemed questionable. You know, you just kind of get that gut feeling they're up to something. Well, they kept encouraging Ralph and I to follow them through the sugarcane fields, stating they knew where we were headed and, and they would take us on a shortcut. They were from, in other words, they were familiar with the village. So I was kind of in agreement because they looked like they're going the right direction. So as we started to leave with them, out of the corner of my eye, I spotted another young person wearing a straw hat in field clothes that for some reason looked very clean and pressed. And this young peasant person from Mexico appeared to be a very neat person. Un he wasn't unkept, uh, but in spite of his poverty type clothing, he still looked very neat. So the, the stranger with the straw hat motioned with his hand to come towards him. As, as I approached him, he pointed to another path for us to take and, and told us that this would be safer. But to my astonishment, he said it in English. No one spoke English there. And in the background of our conversation, the two strangers from the sugarcane field kept urging us to go with them and to hurry up. Well, 
I was in no hurry to go with them. And my gut feeling and my gut and instinct was to follow the direction of this stranger in the straw hat. So as we started to take the suggested path, I stopped to turn around and thank him for his guidance. Uh, but it couldn't have been more than a couple of seconds. But as I turned around, he was nowhere to be found. It was impossible for him to disappear that quickly because we were in an open area which we would have seen him walk away. I mean, you couldn't help but see someone walk away. So meanwhile, the, the two other mysterious strangers out of the sugarcane field ran back into the sugarcane field and disappeared. Well, while we were talking, Ralph and I were saying, what happened to that guy? How did he disappear so fast? I mean, it just kind of like struck us as very odd. And as we were walking, I, I couldn't get over what just happened. And as we got over halfway towards La Nueva, we were walking in a circle around the sugarcane field. Suddenly, <laughs> the same two strangers out of the sugarcane field ran out onto the path that we were walking and met up with us again. I felt very threatened, quite honestly, and I, and I cautioned Ralph to, to walk behind me to keep our distance at safe distance and keep an eye on them and not let these other two strangers walk behind us or fall behind us. So to make a long story short, they, they pull out their knives on us, they had hidden in their clothing, and uh, to either rob us or take advantage of us or in some way. So Ralph and I both had a plan of action. Uh, we were carrying our hunting knives, and uh, in self-defense, we pulled out our knives as, as, as well, so we had a standoff. We threw off our backpacks off our shoulders, and uh, I cautioned them and, and stated that we were they, well, they initially said, hey, we're just looking for scared dogs, you know, or vicious dogs, I should say. And, uh, and I said, well, uh, you know, I didn't believe them, and I told them that. And I said, I made it clear that uh, we were not afraid of them. And they took off running. They ran back into the sugarcane field again. So it became clear to me that if we were going to be robbed or if we would have walked through the sugarcane field, we might have been left for dead. When they harvest the sugarcane field, they set it on fire to get the thistles off the sugarcane. So I could only imagine us being burned to death and unidentifiable. Uh, that'd be horrible. But we made it to the village just fine. Uh, but to this day, I'm convinced that the young man in the straw hat was an angel looking out for our travel. That became an adventure of a lifetime. If you'll allow me, there's a, there's a biblical reference to this. And it says in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 2, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I think we were visited. No, I'll take it a step further. I believe that we were visited by an angel for our own safety. Now, you figure that one out. From your viewpoint, I know I've got mine. Take care. Thanks for joining me today. This is Ray Martinez back with another podcast. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, and it's, a, it's an attack on helicopters. What? What do we mean by that? Well, our... I guess the question is, are helicopters destroying the environment in our national parks? 
I had read this article on September 17, 1998, where the Coloradan had wrote a story about this, and it was an organization called the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, called PEER. And they claim that it's true, that it's destroying our environment. So the organization, they complained about helicopters being used over the Rocky Mountain National Park uh, to, to make uh, trail repairs. And that these repairs, they're up like 12,500 foot elevation. So according to Peer, uh, using a helicopter is not, quote, environmentally friendly, unquote. So the critics have long like, voiced their concern about the, the adverse impacts of helicopter noise pollution and visitors and the wildlife. Uh, but in response to some of their concerns, the federal policies were enacted on a temporary basis that prohibited commercial flights over the park until a long-term policy was developed. So, you know, the, in the past, the U.S. Senate approved a, a permanent ban on all commercial air tours to Rocky Mountain National Park. However, it it's still uh, needs to take action on the Joint Conference Committee and President Clinton to make the Senate action law. So it's not really law. So now, what about the trail re repair project? How does that work? So there was a spokesman for the Park Services, his name was Doug Caldwell back in the day, and he says that a helicopter can transport, this is interesting, a helicopter can transport 400 tons of gravel needed for the project to complete it in 10 days to make these repairs. He said the alternative is using pack horses, and that would take 13 to 20 years to complete. And he says, quote, by that time, the trail could be uh, a miniature Grand Canyon due to erosion, unquote. <laughs> However, there, uh, Jacqueline Taylor up here, uh, uh, she, she doesn't uh, care how long it takes uh, to repair the trail for visitors. She just wants to eliminate the noise and pollution during the 10-day operation. Okay, well... That, you know, I think that's very thoughtful of Pierre, but really thoughtless concerning the cost of taxpayers and the use of slave horse labor for the next 13 to 20 years. Now, if we follow Pierre's approach of trail repair, then the next special interest group uh, that call foul are the animal rights activists. So what about the cost effectiveness and the safety of people uh, repairing the trail by horseback for the next decade or two. Man, where's this reasoning? Uh, so who's going to pay for their retirement plan? Special interest groups <clears throat> like PEER play, play an important role and, and they advocate the interests of people really in the environment. I get that. But what's frustrating is the citizens organization group become overzealous. And, and then common sense doesn't really prevail. And the reasonableness diminishes and, and it really gets dismissed. So the intent of banning commercial flights was to reduce tourist flights in the Rocky Mountain area, uh, not to prohibit the necessary development and repair, which are essential for the environmental groups and the tourists who would like to actually have this quietness.
and, and make it safe and accessible. So for the sake of being environmentally friendly, I wonder how many peer members walk or travel to work by horseback and don't smoke cigarettes and use a non-gasoline lawnmower and, and build their homes without machinery or work in a non-air conditioned offices or, or don't travel on commercial airlines. How far do they really go or don't they? So in today's society, it's troubling and it's complex and we have complex issues that we deal with and, and they're not nature, but they're created. You know, we, we have so many organizations that want to control how we live and, you know, what we build, eat, say, and possess. Uh, and we call this freedom. I can live with that, but where's the balance or the equality? Uh, Mikhail Bakunin, if I'm saying that right, he was quoted saying, if there's if there be a human being who is freer than I, then I shall necessarily become his slave. If I am freer than any other, then he will become my slave. Therefore, equality is an absolutely necessary condition of freedom. For God's sakes, let the two-mile trail on the Continental Divide uh, atop Flat Top Mountain be repaired in a timely fashion without nitpicking the issue to death. I like what the cartoon Ziggy would say, when you're up the creek without a paddle, kick back and enjoy the scenery. Relax, enjoy life, peer members. Uh, I think it's interesting to note that in 2000, Congress passed this National Park Air Tour Management Act, which required the FAA and the NPS to create detailed plans of each park with more than 50 overflights per year. Now this, this agency would have the authority to, uh, or these agencies would have the authority to incentivize quieter technology, limit flights, or even ban them altogether. However, the FAA, as the sole authority over civilian air travel uh, in the United States, is the lead agency under the law. Since the act doesn't specify a deadline the agency hasn't created a single plan in the 16 years that it's been passed. So where are we today? I don't know, but certainly interesting, isn't it?